The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility and love of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather on this family and friends weekend at Boston University for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst. And as the spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. To believe is to be near to. Where, when, and how are we closest to God? Closest we are to the divine in pardon, mercy, forgiveness. Do we know God to be a pardoning God? Jeremiah wrote of old of a new covenant set upon the heart. We come close to God in this moment as our choir guides us in our prayers of confession to receive God's lasting pardon. Let us pray. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 27 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. 
The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I had made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, and after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another, or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 119 with the Antiphon. 
Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. It is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I have a false way. Now let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. According to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord.
Please be seated. Hear ye, hear ye, the honorable unjust judge is presiding this morning in our homiletical courtroom. Before him, a persistent woman who employs time and voice. You have time and you have voice. Like Christ himself, she implores the implacable world to grant justice. Like Christ himself, she comes on a donkey of tongue and patience. Like Christ himself, she continues to plead, to intercede. Like Christ himself, she importunes the enduring gone wrongness of this world. Like Christ himself, she prays without ceasing. Like Christ himself, she persists. She is an example to us of how we should use whatever time we have and whatever breath remains to pray. It is prayer that is the most realistic and wisest repose for we, the anxious of this anxious autumn. By prayer, we mean formal prayer, yes, but by prayer, we mean the persistent daily leaning toward justice, the steady, continuous pressure in history from the voice of the voiceless and the time of the time bound, and also the daily practice of attention, alertness, being alive, being around. Prayer public, prayer private. And ours is a long wait, and that is just the point. We feel the length of the wait. Notice, waiting with us, our poor widow. She lacks power, authority, status, position, and wealth. She has her voice and all the time in the world. Like Jesus Christ, whose faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of faith, the preaching of the word. He told them a parable about how they ought to pray always and not to lose heart. Sometimes prayer is public, even institutional. On this family and friends weekend, we can remember the persistent prayerful work of Boston University across nearly 200 years. Boston University is an institution with a long history of outreach and engagement, said recently our president, Robert A. Brown. Boston University lives in the heart of the city in the service of the city, said President Lemuel Merlin, 1923. One deeply embedded value and strength of Boston University today and found in every school and college is this long, 1839, history, Methodism, of outreach, heart, and service in the world for the world. The three medical campus schools at Boston University lead the way with care for the urban poor, with daily recognition that public health means social justice, and with the most global dental student body of any school or college at every commencement. All 14 schools on the Charles River campus show the shadows and the lingering long-term influence of heart and service. Reflect on the current emphasis in Questrom upon ethical business and business ethics. 
Remember the BU educational 25-year commitment to the Chelsea schools and to the 20-year work in urban literacy, the initiative on literacy development, our outreach to Boston public schools, all so strongly enhanced by the recent Wheelock merger. Rejoice at the concept of citizen artist, the social artist, affirmed at the College of Fine Arts, the best of theater and music and visual art brought to the street level, along with the arts initiative. Reflect on the curricular and co-curricular engagement in the School of Theology, the ongoing voice of the School of the Prophets. Remember our School of Social Work engagement with neighboring hospitals and schools and internships and partnerships. Rejoice at the ongoing vitality within Metropolitan College of a now veteran program in prison education. Reflect on the School of Engineering support for women in science, technology, engineering, and math. Remember our School of Hospitality emphasis on servant leadership. Rejoice at the communal nature of education in the College of General Studies, modeling dimensions of shared learning and living with great effect. Reflect on the College of Arts and Sciences and its PAR-D school committed to world peace. Remember the School of Law and its honored graduates who have defended the legal system of this country, a country of laws and not of men. Rejoice at the varied commitments through the College of Communications to the development of an educated populace on which the rest of democracy depends. Reflect on Sargent's lectureships on physical and occupational therapy, open to the public and applicable to the work of many other schools and colleges as well. To these vital forms of outreach and engagement in schools and colleges, add the Howard Thurman Center, the ROTC program, the Hubert Humphrey Scholars Program, the Community Service Center, the Office of Religious Life, the Ellie Bissell Center, the Sustainability Center, the BU Initiative on Cities, and others, all of which, to some measure, reach out beyond the university to serve and help the larger community across the region and around the globe. Boston University personifies, exemplifies a culture of outreach and engagement working in the world for the world. Public prayer. As in the life of Elijah Cummings, now of blessed memory, a life reminding us that Elijah is coming and a voice teaching us that Diversity is our promise, not our problem. Beloved, your alma mater, at her best, institutionalizes prayerful persistence. He told them a parable about how they always ought to pray and not lose heart. Sometimes prayer is public. And sometimes prayer is private. Sometimes, that is, prayer is personal, meant to wake us up to what lasts, matters, counts, and is real. Speaking personally, 
One summer holiday joy comes from sitting alone, anonymous, a regular citizen of the planet, enjoying a pub lunch. In Bermuda, one favorite such hideout for the hours Jan is shopping in Hamilton is the hog penny. Its name fits British Bermuda, as does its dark wood interior, as does its English, English not hot cuisine, meals, shepherd's pie and chips, as does its broadcast of cricket on the telly, and does it, as does its public house pub mood. Since our honeymoon, we have gone to Hamilton, Bermuda, she to shop, and I to blend into the British Bermuda woodwork and be left alone. She and I no longer need to identify our individual itineraries. Marriage works sometimes that way. She knows where to find me, as she did mid-shopping expedition this August. A surprise hug from behind came as no surprise to me. A big kiss or three some reports from the field of shopping battle, happy and tearful memories of the same place, the same dark wood interior, every five years or so, 1977 to August 2019. Downing a glass of ice water, she is off again on the hunt, leaving me to read. Other years, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, or both in print, now, sadly, no longer available in print on the island. A hug, a kiss, a reminder to show up on time for the ferry back to the hotel, and we are separate again. As one day, a long stretch of de decades ago before marriage, as one day again someday when we cross the river. I notice one other customer alone at the dark farther end of the hog penny oak bar. Six empty chairs separate us. He slowly rises and begins slowly to approach. One chair at a time, he slides his full glass gently, carefully toward me, then rounds the chair at hand, and then pushes his glass another chair length, and again the glass round the chair, catch your breath, start again. He is wearing a yellow golf shirt, tan pants, loafers, eyeglasses without frames, and is, say, 15 years my senior, my father's age when he died, balding, thin, and short. I have learned over the years to watch for clues Signs that such an one approaching in such a setting may want to sell me insurance, it happens, or invite me to church come Sunday, also, or need a loan at least once. I enjoy meeting new people, but this is vacation, a few precious summer hours in the beauty of Bermuda, so I am leery. Here he comes. Slide the glass, round the chair, slide the glass, round the chair, take a breath. No signs of trouble do I see, but I still am alert. A temporary layperson as a full-time pastor who has seen this movie before, I am alert. 
he leaves one empty chair between us. Where are you from, he asks. Boston. How did you get here? We flew direct from Logan. A little silence of which there will be more than a little more. How about you, I volley back. By boat from New York City. Do you live there, I venture, trusting the moment a little more? Nearby, Long Island. Oh, I know Long Island, I rejoin. I will be there near Bayshore, Point O' Woods, it's called, later in August. Then there is a long pause, as there were many in the conversation. He seems not to know how exactly to proceed. At these pauses, I jump in to prompt a couple times, but then leave him to his silence. I notice he is making steady progress through his drink, which gladdens me to see somehow, and clearly it does him too. Silence. He is from a generation, one might say, in which it is expected, that is, a common courtesy to offer a bit of conversation, gentle, genial conversation, to a stranger who is alone. Of course, as with so much else of human being and human meaning, the smartphone and internet have eclipsed this human practice or killed it off outright. The silence is sounding more fully resonant now. He perks up. That was your wife, he asks. I mean, he corrects himself. She is your wife? Yes. She's so pretty, so happy, he says, smiling. Yes, I say. Well, I add, especially on vacation and especially out shopping. He ponders this a bit, long silence, then asks, have you been here before? Yes, I say, about a half a dozen times. It is one of the world's most beautiful places in nature and in culture. Yes, he says, drawing a deep breath leading to another long pause. His eyes dim then brighten, then dim, like the sun ducking in and out behind a cloud bank, silence. More uncomfortable with silence than he is, I interject again. Did you sail to Bermuda with friends or with family? No, he says, I'm here on my own. Now somehow I have the sense to let the silence be long, be quiet, be lonely. Then he looks up and addresses me. My wife and I have come here over the years. She would shop and I would come here and have lunch or not. She would shop. I hear it. I clumsily and with a sense of foreboding repeat, she would shop. Yes, he adds. She and I planned this trip a few months ago. She was 
really looking forward to it. Oh, I... Then I, I stop mid-sentence. She died in April. Silence. I am so very sorry for your loss, is what I come up with to say. Thank you, he says. I was going to cancel, but decided to come alone, to come by myself alone. I am so truly sorry for your loss, I clumsily repeat. I am having a hard time seeing him for some reason. Maybe the humidity has clouded my eyes. I wipe my eyes a bit. Thank you, he says. I appreciate that. She loved this place. Bermuda and its beauty she so loved. We both did, together. I'm glad you came, I said. I'm glad for your memories. I know how meaningful it must be for you to be here. Thank you, he responds. I guess I am glad. The memories are good, but painful, too. Here, more pause. A light silence. A good silence wherein what is said and what is heard can sink down in and settle in. Be heard. Like a sermon, a conversation is not about getting something said, but it is about getting something heard. He makes strong headway with his drink, and I look at my watch to see that the spousal warning to get to the ferry on time was a typically wise one. I have an assignment to be in line for a seat on the ferry, looming. I pay the bill. I check to make sure I have my glasses, my wallet, my book, and yes, my phone. I stand next to him. His eyes are lighter and just a little moister. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. I turn to go, and he catches my arm for a moment. What he says next, he does not say pedantically or religiously or emotionally or emphatically. He just says it in a quiet voice, in a good voice, in a kind voice. And he says it twice in a prayerful tone. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your wife. Sometimes prayer is personal, meant to wake us up to what lasts, matters, counts, and is real. Prayer public, prayer private. And he told them a parable about how they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. As we come to a time in our service of prayerful obedience, please assume an attitude of prayer, either remaining seated, standing, or kneeling, 
at the communion rail as we sing our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Dear Lord, today in the sanctuary of Marsh Chapel, we bring to you a prayer, a voice, a thought, and a common hope. We are needful of the reminder to always pray and to not lose heart. In this need, we also ask for your guidance as we seek to live faithfully in your mercy. As we move about our daily lives, remind us of your abounding grace. Your work in and through us is a reminder to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. There are many in need this day, O God, those who are sick, those who are lonely, those who are tired, those who are homeless, those who are hungry, those who are angry, and those who feel bereft of your blessing. For all in suffering this day, we pray, O God, that you support them with your infinite love and that you remind them that they are worthy of that love. We pray for our government and its leaders. We pray for the church and its mission. We pray for the world and its peoples. Lord, you are mighty and everlasting. Thank you for the power of redemption, the power of compassion, and the power of love. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this autumnal Sunday. Thank you for joining us as a part of our community of worship today. Whether you are here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio or live stream on the internet, or later via our podcast. In a spirit of friendship, we ask those of you seated in the pews that you locate the red booklets at the end of each pew toward the center aisle and enter your name and contact information. This helps us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. We have many exciting events coming up this week at Marsh Chapel. Tomorrow evening is our second meeting of Bibles and Brews. Our graduate level Bible study uh, will be meeting at Fuller's BU Pub at five o'clock. All students over 21, faculty and staff are welcome to attend. We'll be using the Resistance Bible Study as our guide and tomorrow's topic will be the prophetic tradition. Wednesday, our ministry associate, Nick Rodriguez, will be preaching at the School of Theology's weekly worship service at 11.10 a.m. here in the nave. Please come and support Nick. <laughs> in recognition of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Marsh Chapel is participating in making knitted knockers, which are easy to care for prostheses for breast cancer survivors. We'll be making the knitted knockers on Tuesday, October 29th during Create Space from 3 to 6 p.m. in the Thurman Room. All knitters and crocheters are welcome. If you want to help support us, but you don't know how to knit or crochet, we are also accepting donations to buy supplies. Please see Chloe McLaughlin, who is seated in the back there, uh, in the narthex after the service for more information. And now with an announcement from Music at Marsh Chapel, our music program administrator, Meg Weckworth. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Uh, this weekend, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium have their first concert of the season on Saturday, October 26th at 8 o'clock, right here in the nave. Uh, the concert features Haydn's Creation Mass, as well as Beethoven's Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage, and Beethoven's Symphony No. 4 in B-flat major. Admission is free for everyone, so <laughs> we hope that we will see many of you there. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you, Meg. Next Sunday, the Marsh Chapel chapter will be receiving new members at the conclusion of our worship service. If you would like to formally affiliate with the Marsh Chapel chapter, please speak with Dean Hill in the narthex after the service. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, May we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
Creator of the universe, whose law we meditate on and whose justice we strive for, use these gifts for the work of forgiveness, healing, and hope, so that we may keep heart for tomorrow. Through the one who embodied hope, Christ, we pray. Amen. Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen, the evening comes, the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last, through Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs>